Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Living room conversations enable people to come together through their social networks as friends and their friends to engage in a self-guided conversation on an agreed-upon topic. Typically, the conversations have self-identified co-hosts who hold differing views, and they may or may not be from different ethnic groups, socioeconomic backgrounds, or political parties. Get the idea. Each host invites two of their friends to join the conversation, and participants follow an easy-to-use format that offers structure and a set of questions for getting acquainted with each other and each other's viewpoints. Conversations we find foster new relationships and they often reveal surprising common ground. The vision for Living Room Conversations is a world in which people who have fundamental differences of opinion and backgrounds work together with respect and even joy to realize the vibrant future we all desire. Living Room Conversations are special because people agree to follow six simple ground rules. It's all stuff we learned in kindergarten, but here's a real quick reminder. Number one, be curious and open to learning. Number two, show respect and suspend judgment. Number three, look for common ground. Number four, be authentic and welcome that from others. Number five, be purposeful and to the point. And number six, own and guide the conversation. So basically, no soapboxing, listen well, and be authentic. And if you look for common ground, people often find it. Enjoy your very own Living Room Conversation. Welcome. This is Living Room Conversations Radio, courtesy of Coffee Party. So welcome, everybody, to our monthly Living Room Conversation for Coffee Party Radio. And we've got a new team member joining us today. So we're going to do all of the rounds and not just the round three, which is the topic. And uh, real quickly, let's go around and do a quick introduction of why we're here and who you are and where you're from. And so, Mary, would you go ahead and get us started? Sure. I'm Mary Gaylord, and I am the Program Development Partner for Living Room Conversations. And I am calling from slightly snowy Superior, Colorado, right outside of Boulder. Sorry, Katie. And I'm really glad to be here. And that's me. Thanks, Mary. Katie, you want to go next? Sure. My name is Katie Page. I'm 23 and I live in Denver. We haven't quite gotten those bits of snow yet, but it is coming. And I'm here today because this topic seems to touch on my life and I don't seem to discuss this very much. So I'm excited to talk about this topic. Thanks, Katie. And Joan? I'm a co-founder of Living Room Conversations, calling in from Berkeley, California, and looking forward to having a really interesting conversation yet again. Great. Thanks, Joan. And Linda, welcome to the team. Thank you. I'm Linda Taylor. I'm uh, calling from Campbell, California, and I'm looking at uh, increasing the the presence of living room conversation in uh, faith communities. And this this topic is just so central to everything I do. So I'm delighted to be here. Thanks, Linda. 
Appreciate that. And John. Hi, I'm John Gable, um, co-founder of All Sides. And I'm, I'm here because part of All Sides is not just bring different ideas to people, but different people to different people. And so the living conversation practice to help us understand and listen to each other when we differ is so important. And I'm all focused on how to make that scalable for people online, nationwide, and even beyond that. So I'm excited about that in general, and I'm particularly excited about this particular topic. So um, that's me. Thanks, John. And you're in California, right? In San Francisco, California, though I am representing quite accurately the right of center. So uh, don't, don't let my, um, I'm from Kentucky originally, if that gives me credibility for people on the right. <laughs> Thanks, John. Thanks for, for being with us. Uh, and again, I'm Debbie Lynn Molyneux. I am president of Coffee Party USA. I'm also managing partner for Living Room Conversations. I'm in Portland, Oregon. And our topic today is called Righteousness or Relationship. And I want to read just a really quick paragraph about that before we jump into round two to kind of set the stage. This conversation developed after Joan had a conversation with one of her conservative colleagues, and it just, it felt right that we actually call this righteousness or relationship. Here's the description. Our culture has evolved to reward winners and dismiss losers. Our biology rewards us with dopamine when we are right, and then, of course, we want more. Is it any wonder that we all want to be right and on the winning team? Relationships are not a game. We count the number of times we're right and declare a winner. What is the actual cost to our relationships when we fall into the right-wrong game? And how can we step out of the right-wrong paradigm to explore what's really important to and enlivens all of us? So that's the framing for our conversation today. And uh, let's start with one question uh, from round two. And because we're on a little bit of a time crunch today, let's keep the answers brief. Um, but the three questions that you can choose between are what sense of purpose, mission, or duty guides you in your life? What would your best friend say about who you are and what makes you tick? And what are your hopes and concerns for your community and or the country? So let's uh, start with John. Okay, we're going the opposite direction. So I'll start with my hope um, very tied to this, which is the, it's always been true in um, American politics and actually worldwide politics that people do divide, they do disagree, and that's fine. There's a difference between saying, um, I disagree with you on this environmental issue, therefore you're wrong, and saying, oh, you're one of them, therefore you're evil. There's a big difference between disagreeing and understanding each other as human beings and therefore being able to listen to each other and understand each other. So the interpersonal relationship is a huge deal. And the Righteousness, or the Righteous Mind book by Jonathan Haidt points to this, is gets in the way of that, um, gets in the way with our ability to listen with our full ears, our full brains, and our full heart. And the technology has evolved. I'm an old tech guy, um, Netscape Navigator, product manager from way back. Um, that believes in technology, but recognizes that used incorrectly, which is what we're doing for the most part today, it can divide us. So I'm very interested. My hope is to empower the people who want to solve and want to move forward and give them more voice and more power so that can spread like a wonderful virus throughout the nation. Thanks, John. I appreciate, appreciate that. Uh, I love that hope. And I'm going to kind of bounce around here. Joan, would you kind of go next on this one? You read those questions. I thought about the hope answer too. And I have this vision that it's possible that for, I want the next presidential election to be very different. 
I want it to be an election where people are in right relationship with each other so that you're not having the politics of personal destruction and that when choosing candidates, and I come from a very progressive background, progressives choose a candidate that my conservative friends can be comfortable with and trust. And that likewise, because they care about me, they choose a candidate that I can be comfortable with and trust. So even if the candidate we vote for doesn't win, the vast majority of Americans can be comfortable with the person that becomes the president of the United States. That's my hope for three and a half years from now, whenever it is. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Joan. And we all know the campaign's going to start, you know, in a little over a year. No. <laughs> it's already, already started. Oh, it's already started. Yeah, anyway. I, I'm going to go next uh, and then bounce to Katie, Mary, and Linda. I'll have you go last. My hopes and, and concerns on this really uh, are ref right now reflected about the, my recent visit with my mom. And I really want to just be able to talk to my mom about politics and national issues. And it's an area of, of pain for me because my mom, in protecting her worldview, doesn't allow a conversation. And when she does allow a conversation and she expresses some opinions, because we, we've actually talked about why we can't talk about it, because my day-to-day -day life is in politics and national issues, I have a lot more information about it than she does. And so she ends up feeling stupid. And so while my intent isn't to be righteous with her, she hears it as righteousness because she feels uninformed. And so this righteousness or relationship is something that's very personal to me. And it's something I've actually been working on for many years. And my hope is that I can actually have a relationship or have a conversation with my mom about the work I do. Pause there, Mary. The hopes and concerns, I'm gonna kind of follow the, the theme. As some of you know, I was in Washington DC with my family recently and it was so interesting walking around there and seeing you know, the Lincoln Memorial, the FDR Memorial, and just feeling a sense of awe and, and hope and, you know, for, for a lot of people, certainly in the, the Boulder community, and, and certainly to some extent in my personal experience, this past election felt pretty dark for a number of reasons, not just because of the candidates, but because of the way that people treated each other and that people are continuing to treat each other. And, and walking around and also standing and, and, and reading the quotes of the MLK Memorial, I thought, you know what? things may feel a little dark but this is when bright leaders i think can really come forward and people are ready for them and they're ready to receive them and hear the message because so many of us are i think feeling some real angst whatever the issue is and whatever the perspective and so my hope is that there will be some great leadership and that there will be some real light and that the darkness that that i think a lot of people are feeling will be illuminated by some, some great things. So that's, uh, that's my hope. Thanks, Mary. Katie? Kind of going to ride this hope train a little bit too. I've been thinking recently about the connection between the head and the heart. I think that people's heads don't agree that hearts can still stay connected. And I think that is something that we really need to focus on right now. Because I was with my best friend's family in Mexico last week, and 90% of the family is Trump supporters and we're sitting on the beach in Mexico talking, talking about their support for Trump and it felt just a little bit ironic to me and I had to learn to just love these people on a human level first because I almost just wanted to start 
screaming a little bit, but I held, I held it in like an adult. And so like I was saying, is like connecting on that heart level because everyone is a human in this situation, even if we might agree, not, might not agree on some pretty seriously fundamental subjects. So I'm hoping that we can move a little more towards that way. And with that. Thanks, Katie. And Linda? My core value is about relationship. And my mission is to support people in developing healthy relationships with themselves, with each other, and with the holy. And to, to be mindful that uh, we're all in this together. My hope is very similar to Jones. I want to feel good at the end of the next re- uh, election. I want to feel that we've all done our best together and that we can respect the person who's elected, whether we agree with them or not, and move forward in that way. I'm, I'm, I'm saddened. And I don't want to be sad anymore. I I want to uh, build relationships that support each other and respect each other. And uh, that's kind of central for me, which is why I'm here. Thanks, Linda. And with that, uh, we're going to move into round three and some of our larger hopes and concerns about righteousness and relationship. Answer one or more of the following questions to get us started. Um, Have you ever chosen to let someone else be right to preserve a relationship? What happened? What happens with you when someone else insists on being right with their opinion or facts? Are there specific topics or issues where you've decided what is right and are not open to new ideas? The last one, what do you believe about how the world works? Is there a fixed reality? Katie, you want to start to start us off on this one? Yes. Questions I'll start with. Uh, have you ever chosen to let someone else be right? What happens when someone else insists on being right? Well, if someone insists on being right, that pretty means that they're closed off to a conversation in general. So I really try and let a conversation kind of end or dissipate from there just because really all that stuff to go is to escalate um, into something that isn't productive any longer. And I've been a part of many of those types of conversations. And that's one of the reasons why I'm part of living room conversations, because it allows uh, open-mindedness to already occur before you start to speak, which I think has been a problem. And this idea of, is there a fixed reality? No, I, I personally believe in multiple truths, just because everyone perceives the world so differently. I, I truly have no idea what the world looks like from your eyes. None. There's just no way that I could ever know. So trying to accept that has helped me in, in understanding people's differences. And it really is a constant learning experience and partaking in conversations and when to keep going and when to just kind of let it go. I don't know if I let them be right per se. I let them think they're right and everyone walks away happy. <laughs> I'll start with that. All right, Joan, you want to you wanna take it from here? Yeah, the concept of letting someone else be right to preserve a relationship. Um, Doing the living room conversations, I don't feel like I'm letting someone else be right so much as appreciating that people that I like have very different uh, worldviews. They're living in different narratives and trying to you know, develop relationships and better understand those differences is something that I've found really expands my thinking in my mind. 
it's you know kind of an adventure in my head <laughs> and so it's been an opportunity for me to um hold the tension of the differences and it, it's be, i guess with time it becomes something that i become more and more comfortable doing and i think that's good and there are times definitely when i think people are really really wrong <laughs> but I don't have to have them agree with me. I take the information in and what I find most interesting is finding the places where we connect. Thanks, Joan. Thanks for that jumping off, good jumping off point. Mary. You know, I read the first one, choosing to let someone else be right to preserve a relationship. I think I have done that a whole lot in my life and I, I don't feel, doesn't feel real good to me. It feels like subverting my ideas uh, to let somebody else have the air, have the platform. And so I love what you just said, Joan, about how this format allows a different sort of expression, allows everybody to, to have their voice and to make it be heard. You know, I think there are, certainly in my upbringing, there was the, it was, it was, stressed certainly as a female in a um, family with four brothers and uh, it was stressed to be nice be nice be accommodating don't offend don't hurt other people's feelings and so I think I've done that too much and it's, it doesn't preserve a relationship ultimately because then I feel you know if I, if I get into it with somebody and I, I, I just walk away and I slowly fade out of their lives so it's not real honest and I think this is a more honest way to be able to say, no, I, I don't agree with you. I, you know, I still care about you. I care about our relationship. And our disagreement doesn't need to be the, the undoing of our relationship. Or it doesn't mean that I need to, you know, just kind of phase you out because, you know, you said something that I didn't like. So that one really strikes a chord with me, especially because I have, they're four brothers, lots of big personalities, and most of them insist on being right. And when they do so, when they go in that mode, I just can't get away fast enough. But a really interesting thing happened recently, which I haven't responded to yet, but the brother with whom I probably see things the least like, who's very intelligent, very beats you up with facts and all the reading and the intellect. He's, he's a very Catholic person, and he recently sent me a note, and he said he's He's learning that when he listens, if he listens to somebody else, he can hear he can hear God in what they have to say, which blew me away coming from this brother who is always right. I'm rambling a little bit, but these questions have kind of stirred up some just some realizations and some kind of uh, memories for me about some of my interactions and, and maybe how I want to interact in um, not a righteous way, but in an authentic way because just kind of sulking away is not preserving a relationship. Although in the past, probably when I was younger, I thought that was the right thing to do. Right. Thank you, Mary. John? I want to go on the same question and follow along with other people who are saying, although I was thinking about also how the world works, and kind of build on what Joan said and actually kind of bring a different mindset altogether. I think the question of do you let other people be right is the wrong question. I think that's a wrong mindset. I think that trying to be curious about how they are, who they are, and why they feel the way they feel is the correct mindset. 
when you're letting somebody be right, you're basically saying, I am right, you're wrong, and I'm not listening to you anymore because I can't. And that's different. It's not about them wanting to be right. It's about us being right and not wanting to engage. And I think that's a wrong mindset. I think a, a, a better mindset is a, uh, in terms of the way human bodies work, how the world works. And psychologists tell us is that one of curiosity or one from trying to understand where they're coming from. That doesn't mean that you're going to agree on the policy, but that's just details. And, and I have found with a particular friend of mine who's a teacher, Stanford grad, bright, love her to death. And I really do. I mean, I'm a huge fan of her. And, but she and I have very different ideas of what to do to improve education. What we found is digging deep down is we actually want the same things and have some very core beliefs and values that we want to do. And we depart at a certain place very early on in the structure, if you will. And she's, you know, always getting points of view about how changes to the education system are attacks on teachers. And I'm always hearing uh, about how refusing to change the system is an attack on students. <laughs> and so we come from different perspectives. Um, but there's a real honest and stronger relationship that we have as a result of going deeper to the issue. So I think that sometimes letting somebody be right is also, sometimes you have to because people are stuck there. I get that. But I think it's sometimes a cop-out for us not wanting to go to where we need to go ourselves, which is really understanding them at a more human level. And I guess I've experienced that myself. And it was hard to go there, and I was so glad I did. The other piece is I think this pain is good. I remember before the election, I wanted the election to be really close because I thought there was a lot of pain in middle America that most people in the blue states or a certain comfort areas don't understand. And it occurred to me that if uh, Donald Trump didn't win, we wouldn't be having this conversation the same way that we're having. And this conversation is essential. Um, this conversation gets to the core of our beings and our nation and how we as a nation deal with each other and listen to each other and understand each other. So I've actually, I found myself um, on election night oddly relieved. I actually didn't support Trump, but there's some things I liked about it, but things I didn't like at all. I found myself oddly relieved because I thought that a group of about half of America that's in pain might be heard and that we as a nation can come together and think about that and work about that and not just choose sides, but actually hear the problems from different points. So I'm actually like the pain now. I think it's a good thing. Um, I've used this analogy once with Debbie Lynn and she said it wasn't a good one, but I can't help it. Sometimes I think that as a nation, we're kind of like alcoholics addicted to the fright and um, and all these things are designed to get us riled up and we believe it as a part of the w way the world really is when it's really a lot of hype um, and there are real things in there um, but I think we have to get away from that addiction of tribal beliefs and responding to everything and kind of bottom out like addict does before you get better and this might be a part of the bottoming out I want this to be the bottoming not violence in the streets being the bottom and that's um, as one of the things that Debbie Lynn pointed out, is historically what can sometimes happen if society doesn't understand how to work things out better. So I'm actually very happy we are in pain because um, I think it'll lead to good things. And I actually think disagreement's a good thing. So there is a completely different perspective. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, John. Uh, Linda, you want to go next? I find myself agreeing with, with John about the pain. 
although I long for uh, us not to have this same kind of pain in four years. And I, I'm in agreement about the um, allowing someone else to be right. I don't believe there's a single source of truth. I think we all have a little sliver of the big picture. And the more we talk and the more we listen, the more able we will be to to understand what that other person's perspective is. And until we do that, it's we're stuck in that right and wrong confrontation because it always seems to be a confrontation. What happens with me when someone insists on being right is that I I feel something closing down and I really struggle to ask, tell me about that. Tell me what that means to you. Tell me what uh, tell me what you understand about that to come from a position of curiosity instead of, oh my God, this is so wrong. So I struggle with that. And I don't believe that we're going to be okay. We're going to be healthy until we've learned in a new way how to, how to engage with one another when we disagree, how to multitask, how to love each other as humans in the middle of disagreement, because I don't think we're ever going to be in agreement, but we need to figure out how to live together in a way that's productive and healthy and uh, supports whatever common ground goals we can find. And I believe we can find those common ground goals and values if we just hang in there and do a, a an appreciative inquiry kind of approach, perhaps, uh, to to see where where we see things that are important to both of us at the same time. And I guess I guess that's what I think. Thank you, Linda. So going going last year, uh, man, I've had so many just personal experiences kind of flash before my eyes as as I listen to all of you. And Mary, like you, I've I have chosen many, many, many times to let the somebody else be right. And I use the air quotes around right. Um, in order to preserve a relationship or to preserve peace in the relationship. It's something that, you know, I learned growing up to just accommodate. So it was kind of like I would take my own sense of rightness, John, that you pointed out and hold it in my own heart and just not express it, but just, you know, let, you know, let it go to, to preserve the peace. And uh, I had a business partner at one time that uh, after about a year, it was obvious that it wasn't going to be working out. And so we decided to, to part ways. And we had two very different evaluations on what her buyout amount was going to be. And in the end, I capitulated because I wanted to preserve the relationship. And it wasn't until I want to say a year, maybe two years later, that we kind of went back and debriefed it. And, and we found out that we entered into two different agreements. I had what I thought was in the agreement and she had what she thought was the agreement. And we actually hadn't had the same agreement when we went into business together. And so she exited on her agreement terms uh, and I let it go. And, you know, she had to pay capital gains tax because she made money on it and I lost money and, you know, this whole big thing. But I, I recognized, um, as a, and actually as a result of that experience, she's now one of my very best friends because we, we stayed in relationship with each other and, and we're willing to go through and explore what had happened, although we had to let, let it kind of uh, lay fallow for a while. 
and, and kind of just get away from the emotionality of it. And, and then I, ha I had another recent experience with a volunteer where I had to actually fire a volunteer um, from one of my other jobs. And, it, and it was, it's very painful because these people come and they want to contribute so much. But after we had complaints from three other volunteers that they felt attacked by this person who was very righteous in his demeanor, um, I, you know, I had to take action to preserve the, the greater whole of, of the volunteer pool. And so it, it, when I had that very difficult phone call with him, he's, it was, I was experiencing him being righteous about his point of view that he was getting let go because of X, Y, and Z. And I kept saying, no, it's not X, Y, and Z, it's A, B, and C. And he couldn't hear me. He literally, I think to this day, if you asked him why he got let go from, from the uh, nonprofit, he would give the same story that he's, that I have discounted and said, no, it's not that, it's this. It, he, it's his story. He's got it like stuck in this loop in his head. And, and I, I just stopped talking because there was nothing, you know, he, as he rambled on and on and on, I, I, there was just, there was, it was pointless to continue talking because he couldn't hear me. And I recognize that my perspective was also righteous in that because I was protecting the whole. And in this, this was a case where the relationship, you know, at this point anyway, has not been preserved. We're still in contact with each other, but it's at a much distant level. And these are the kind of things that I, I work on with myself personally all the time about how do I really hear and listen to someone and perhaps not expect a return. Cause I think that's where I end up feeling more righteous is when it's like, okay, I've listened to you and I hear and I understand, but here's my point of view. And when that doesn't get respected in return, I start to shut down and do what you said, Katie, <clears throat> I think you said it was get away, get away as fast as you can. In some instances, maybe it was Mary, I forget who said it. And there are specific topics or issues where I've decided what's right. And you know, if, it's, if it has anything to do with a woman's body and her reproductive rights, I'm not open to any other conversation. You know, it's there because it's very personal to, about me and the rest and the other half of the planet. So there are issues that I just don't talk about with people anymore because I know I'll be righteous about it. Or if, if it comes up, I kind of just like close my mouth. Because uh, I'm not open to actually receiving new ideas on it. And I do, you know, like many of us have expressed on the phone, I, I have personally experienced many different worldviews just within myself. And so, <laughs> you know, as I, as I have, have grown up, you know, I went from being a very black and white law and order type person to being multiple perspective, multiple worldviews. Everybody has a slice of the truth. Everyone has a piece of God in them. You know, so just even within my own development, I have experienced many worldviews. And so, you know, to me, the world is not a fixed reality. Um, and it's interesting to talk with people who do have a fixed reality viewpoint. Um, and they're, they are the ones I find most challenging to not be righteous with in myself. We're going to take a quick break. So why don't you take a moment to stretch, get another cup of coffee, and the living room conversation will be right back. Listen to Living Room Conversations, where we put the personal back into interpersonal communications here on the Coffee Party USA Radio Network. Let's have a few minutes of just kind of open conversation here. Well, we have about 15 minutes left, some five minutes of open conversation. And I see Katie first and then John. Great. Thanks, Tabula. And this answer is going to be a little less kumbaya than I have been. 
throughout this call. But I think there are some relationships that don't need to be preserved coming from the experience of a white heterosexual upper middle class woman, like one of the only parts of my life that you can seriously offend me personally is being a woman. So, I mean, if you are someone who is gay and people, a friend or someone you thought was a friend is calls you an abomination or your family, I don't believe that you are tied to preserving that relationship. So I think this conversation is, is a bit subjective in, in some different ways. And self-preservation is also another thing. My best friend's family, who I absolutely don't agree with, wouldn't spend any time with if they weren't my best friend's family. I preserve those relationships for like the peace of all, I guess you could say. I guess that comment is an expansion of this idea of being really subjective. I also don't want to ruin a, a family dinner or a family vacation because I want everyone to know how I feel. I think there is a time and a place for these conversations. And sometimes like you've got to let it go and you have to let relationships go for your own safety or things like that. I also don't agree on, like, I won't move on climate change. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, science things. Science things are, are kind of a different level for me. John. So I was going to say some of what, what Katie just said in terms of sometimes you got to let it go. But I also want to say, Debbie Lynn, you had like three things you said there. And the first thing you mentioned, I was like, I really want to talk about that. It was so moving to me. And then that was true about that. How to engage when we disagree is the big question on the table. And that's what Linda mentioned. And I think that's the essential core. And I do think that you have to pick when to engage and when not to. And engage may not be the works that may imply a... Uh, the example I gave was a good friend who I knew we had a good relationship so we could dig deeper into something we both passionately felt about. But I couldn't do that with other people. Uh, some good friends of mine who have a different personality set, I couldn't go there. Um, or people I don't know as well. Your, your business experience and the fact that you've, over time, I actually, as a human being who's also um, Christian, and I, I, people think I'm Catholic, I'm Episcopalian. So apparently I'm an overly serious <laughs> Episcopalian. Although I have them in church. Extra guilt. Anyway. You're an Episcopalian. Yeah, I have, I have a, I'm an extra guilted uh, Episcopalian, which is just a bizarre thing to say. The, I thought that preserving a relationship um, instead of fighting over the financials probably felt bad, but sometimes that's the right thing to do. And I applaud you for that. And I applaud you in particular for maintaining that relationship and building it over time. I think that's fantastic. So moving, I had to speak to it. I couldn't, I was like, ah, I was really wonderful and our nation's challenge and the thing that people didn't think was possible when it was born was to have regular people deal with each other and disagree with each other and run the country to self-govern this is the same challenge we've had since the revolutionary war and society has had longer than that that it's that important that we continue to every generation every human being has to work at this it's a advanced citizenship being in a democracy. We can't just, and we don't want somebody just to tell us how to live. With that, I'll just say kudos and thanks. Thanks, John. Unless there's a, any other burning comments right now, we'll go ahead and move into round four. Linda, I'm going to have you st start our reflection round and this, uh, answer one or more of these three questions. What was most meaningful or valuable to you in the experience of this living room conversation? Uh, what learning, new understanding, or common ground was found on this topic? And has this conversation changed your perception of anyone in this group, including yourself? This conversation 
hasn't changed my perception. It's changed my um, my degree of engagement uh, in in a positive way. I feel closer to all all of you because we've shared this, and because I've shared because I've shared with you, and you've shared with me. And I really appreciate that. Sometimes I don't know what I think until I hear someone else say it. And what John said about appreciating this pain is so true because it's so hard for us to see out of our bubble, whatever our bubble is. And this has been a wake-up call that's going to have reverberations for a long, long time. And, and I'm grateful for that part of it. Uh, I'm not grateful for much that went around it. But so that's, that was really helpful for me to, to name that in a way that sounded, that really, really reverber, reverberated with me. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Thank you. Thanks, Linda. Uh, Katie. It was really nice, like John said, to hear your story, Debbie Lynn, about preserving that relationship, even though it's not about necessarily about politics. It's a, it's a story that shows that even through hardships and serious disagreement, which can come through finances, of course, that a relationship can be saved, even even if it's down the line. I mean, we've talked a lot about this subject that I'm, I'm pretty ambivalent about my stance on this, because part of me says, yes, like, everyone be happy, peace and love, blah, blah, blah. Other part of me is like, I don't want to have any sort of contact with some some sorts of people. I'm definitely at a little bit of a crossroads there, which I will continue to ponder and also learning to disagree is something that we've talked a bit about in here and I like to say I know how to do that but I haven't really acquired any skills or I I don't know what that entails learning how to disagree appropriately so I would like to hear more about that in the future and people's tactics on disagreeing thank you Thanks, Katie. You kind of jumped into round five with us, too. I know. (laughs) So let's just say, let's just open it up if you have anything you want to declare for yourself or uh, what you want to do in the future with this uh, or an important thing you thought was accomplished. Go ahead and throw it in here and we'll we'll just kind of smoosh rounds four and five together. And Linda, I'll come back to you at the end. Uh, Joan, you want to go next? Very thought-provoking conversation because there's so many ways that we all deal with our differences in our lives and different relationships call for different dealing. Clearly this is core to all of us, our relationships. It's something we value deeply. I got to thinking about my, my mother and the differences we had. And it was just like, she's the sweetest, most wonderful person in the world. And there's certain things she held to be true that I would not mess with, even though I lived in a different way and it was perfectly okay. Yeah, sometimes it's, yeah, it's, it's just so completely clear that that love that you exchange, that it, it, it doesn't diminish the, the relationship. You understand it, it's like, okay. (laughs) And, uh, and the, the deepening of the understanding on this team that, you know, that's something that we're all appreciating too, which is really quite lovely. So I'm uh, just kind of enjoying that we do this with regularity and a conversation about our, you know, relationships and, you know, where, where we draw our lines. It's, it's complex. And I think there's a lot of agreement there. (laughs) 
that's common ground for sure. <laughs> Definitely complex. Uh, I'll, I'll go next and then have Mary and then John, I'll have you uh, finish us up on this round. Hearing about, you know, everybody's challenges. Uh, Mary, when you talked about accommodating, I mean, that just kind of like smacked me across the head because that's, you know, what my mom taught me how to do. And her and I oftentimes, we joke around about, I, I would, in fact, when she was here last week, I joked around about, what do you want, mom? And she'd go, oh, whatever you want, dear. <laughs> you know, kind of, and I'd be like, no, mom, you're at my house. I'm accommodating you. It's, it's my turn to accommodate. <laughs> and when I'm at her house, you know, I'll be more forward about what I want. And it's just, it was just so funny to hear you go, oh yeah, and that's, that's how it impacts my other relationships in that there's an accommodation that happens uh, where sometimes I need to be bolder and getting my voice forward so that I don't feel squashed or just, or, you know, just remove myself. Uh, so I think that was a, a, a really meaningful and valuable piece of this. And I know that I want to figure out going forward from here you know, this, this type of conversation needs to be happening all across the country at, you know, with, with lots of different people so that we can actually start to heal our hearts. And in order for that to happen, there has to be some kind of either viral moment or, you know, the, the good virus that you talked about earlier, John, or, or some type of organized campaign around it, which is going to take a lot of funding. And so how do we measure this kind of conversation and outcome? so that it becomes fundable. And so that's my kind of forward motion on, on one, trying to figure out how to, how to make this go and explode all over the country. <laughs> and, and I'm going to pause there. Mary? Well, you know, I, I've got so many thoughts going on in my head, and I think that's what these conversations do. I'm just thinking... Thinking of a, um, an analogy, and I think these conversations dislodge brain plaque. You know how you get plaque in your teeth, and it's just stuck there, and it just becomes part of you? And then, you know, it's like we have plaque in our brains, these kind of hardened neural pathways or something. And these conversations dislodge some of that plaque for me. And there's so many things. Linda, I love what you said. I wrote it down. I don't know what I think until I hear someone say it. And for some reason, during this conversation, two kind of parallel tracks running for, for me, what I learn about myself and what I learn about others. And it's almost like, I don't know if you've played that game. It's sometimes like an icebreaker game when you go to a party and you've got a, a famous person and you've got the sticker on your forehead or your back. And to get to know people, you walk around saying, you know, am I male? Am I female? Am I alive? Am I dead? But, and it's all to discover who you are. And these conversations help me figure out who I am, which is really interesting. And parts of myself that I, I didn't know because the brain plaque has been dislodged. So thank you for flossing my brain. <laughs> <laughs> the other part was that, you know, I was thinking and learning about other people. I sure I can be, have the tendency to be righteous. I um, it's not a quality I feel really great about, but it, it's here and it's really easy to be righteous in a place like Boulder because you know we many of us think similarly. We're in the bubble, and so you can get really righteous to get you just validate each other. But righteousness keeps us apart, is what I realize, and ignorance grows. Part of my uh, takeaway from this, I guess I'm round-fiving it a little bit too, is just to see what I can learn 
from other people about myself, about them. And to Katie's very excellent point, some relationships are not going to, it's going to be a long road around to learning. And so some relationships are not necessarily the right ones at the right time to remain in. So those are my, um, those are my thoughts. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you, Mary. And John. So I have so many things as well. Um, I've also learned that I don't know how to spell the word plaque because I was writing that down because I thought it was so wonderful and I'm not sure how to spell it. I, I had the exact thought that Linda did um, earlier about relationships. It's like I find myself, I found myself this way halfway through. Like I really want to know Linda better because uh, you're new to me. <laughs> I'm like, I want to spend time with you. I'm in San Francisco. It's a little distance, but it's, it's, <laughs> it um, speaks to this experience of sharing at a deeper level, even when we disagree. I think the meme, the uh, internet meme, may appropriately be in this together. That might be the way we start to grow. And when I think about longer term, the thing that Living Room Conversations all sets them together, which is the schools program, is a, exactly about learning how to talk and maintain a relationship when you disagree. And I think that particularly with the current state of the way we use technology, that encourages the opposite, that I feel renewed on that particular project we um, are engaged in and the essential nature of it. Um, and for me, not just for schools, but for society in general and what we're doing. So I am... Um, moved and shaken in the best way and encouraged in the best way as well. So thank you. Thanks, John. Uh, for any round fives, answer both of these following questions. What was one important thing you found, thought was accomplished here? And is there a next step you would like to take based on this conversation that we just had? And Linda, I promised to come back around to you. A couple of us already did our round five, but wanted just to touch base with you again. Thank you. I think one important thing that was accomplished here was new vocabulary some new ways of thinking, some new ways of, of hearing. And I don't think we can have too many of those. I, I think it's, there's an inexhaustible source as we listen to one another. So many ways we can learn different ways of thinking and uh, experiencing. The next step I'd like to take is to explore that, that viral moment, that good viral moment to, to see what we can do to get this get an explosion of living room conversation. I can just see them popping up. Every time I talk with people about them, I see them looking hopeful. And that gives me hope that first, there's a, an audience that's open to this, and second, that, that we can make a difference. So that's where I am with that. Thank you. Thanks, Linda. Uh, Mary and Joan, did, I think you two didn't do round five already. I think Linda did it. Good clothes for me. Uh, she said what I meant to say. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for it. Mary, how about you? I, I will jump on that Linda train too. I think that's a, I think that's a, a, great, a great thing for me to kind of take away from this conversation and, and a great thing to hold in my head and my heart in terms of next steps. Great. Thank you, everybody. We had the Hope Train. We started with the Hope Train. We ended with the Linda Train. <laughs> a whole bunch of, of uh, deep thinking about righteousness and the impact on our relationships. And uh, thank you all for being here for this Living Room Conversation. 
for all of you out in coffee party land, check out livingroomconversations.org. Uh, this will be under hot topics uh, for the month of December and January, as well as other 50 other great topics. So as we have our little kumbaya moment, <laughs> way to the music, uh, signing off here with Living Room Conversations. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. This has been Living Room Conversations, courtesy of Coffee Party USA Radio. You can learn more at coffeepartyusa.com. And make sure to click on that big red button that says become a member. Coffee Party USA is 100% volunteer and member supported. That's you. So thanks for listening. Make it a great day. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.